Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to the Girl CEO Podcast, the playground for female entrepreneurs. My name is Ronnie Brown, and I'm the author of Amazon's best-selling book, From Mopping Floors to Making Millions, and was once a teen mom to a millionaire business mentor. I created my Girl CEO community for women like you. Girl CEO, you are a trailblazer, a creative, an innovator, a boss, and a woman who knows that she deserves more. Join me each week while we uncover what it truly takes to be your own boss and become a successful girl CEO. And don't worry, sis, I got you. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Girl CEO Radio, the playground for female entrepreneurs. And I'm Ronnie Brown. And today I have a super special guest with me, Tanira Madani. Hey, Ronnie, how are you? I'm so excited to be here today. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. This is going to be such a great, great, great podcast. Guys, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Tanir, just to tell our audience just a little bit about how you got started. Uh, let's crack open and just jump into your story to tell us a little bit about your story. So where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, so I grew up in Dallas, Texas, actually, but I moved everywhere. So I was actually born in Chicago. I'm a daughter of immigrants. So my parents both immigrated from Karachi, Pakistan, separately as teenagers. And then they met in Chicago, fell in love, got married, had me. And then that's where like I was born. But then we moved to Dallas, Texas shortly thereafter. And my dad was a serial entrepreneur, but entrepreneurship for him was out of necessity. It wasn't because it was cool like it is today. It was just they weren't educated and there, there was no other way really to pursue their dreams without education in America. And so he moved our family to Texas and we moved around a lot growing up. And I didn't grow up poor, but I didn't grow up super wealthy either. But I grew up in a middle class working family household and it was incredible. I grew up with a very loving family. I have a brother who is actually a co-founder in our company as well. And so him and I were really close growing up. But I went to 10 different schools in 12 years of schooling. And so something about me is I've been exposed to like small businesses my whole life and entrepreneurship. And I was really reluctant in starting my company because I saw all the struggles that it really takes to be an entrepreneur and you have to bring everything home. And a lot of the times we only see the shiny side of it. So I got to really live it firsthand. My dad had some successful businesses and some not successful businesses. And that's one of the reasons why we're always up and moving. And so that was my background. And then we moved to Orlando. I was 16 years old. And this was my, again, another move right out of high school. So I never grew up with like a constant. And that was like kind of something that was always missing for me. And so when I moved to Orlando... I ended up going to university at University of Florida just because I was like, I'm not leaving Florida. Like I'm here now and I'm like not moving. And so I am 32 years old and I have not moved out of Orlando. So I went to Gainesville, I went to college and then I came back to Orlando and I'm raising my family here now in Orlando. So, wow. Well, you know, one of the things that I think about when just hearing that story and being open to so much change and 
you know, just traveling a lot. One of the things that I think about just hearing that story is that you probably had absolutely no freaking problem pivoting in business at any time, any point, letting go of an employee that just doesn't get it. You're probably not the person who thinks twice about pivoting fast. Am I right? <laughs> I think, you know, growing up, when you have to adapt, right, you just naturally become that way as a leader or in your day to day. And I do think that there's two types of people in this world, like those that can adapt quickly and those that just can't. And we're kind of living it right now. So we're in quarantine right now. This is week four of quarantine. And a lot of us have had to make a lot of pivots. And I know it hasn't been easy for many, but at least those that can embrace change and just say, here's what the new norm looks like. And here's what we got to do to still fucking execute. Like that is like, those are my people. So if you guys are listening out there and you're like, I'm still crushing life and I'm still going to do it. I'm not going to let a pandemic stop me. That's kind of the attitude that I always grew up around. Yeah, for sure. And that's that, that's that red personality for sure. You know, it's the people that open and willing to go get it. And most importantly, I think it's about perspective. That's something that, you know, I've really stressed to my audience and to my girl CEOs is that you always have to focus on your perspective, right? Right now we're going through this pandemic and everybody is just like, what is going on? What is next year going to look like? My birthday was just in the house. And for me, I just told myself and I had, I did a live with my girl CEOs the other day and I'm just like, listen, girl, right now, if I have to sit in the house for two months or even three months, hell, if I have to sit in the house for six months and that's going to guarantee that I'll be safe and my family will be safe and I can live, God willing, for another 10 to 15 to 20 years, hey, this house is going to be so freaking lit and so freaking fun. You mean a hundred years, girl. A <laughs> hundred years, you know, but I'm just going to make the best out of whatever. So we're going to party, we're going to dance, we're going to laugh, and that's just what it is, you know? Uh, so let me ask you this. As a child, what was your childhood career dream? You know how when you're yeah. young, I remember saying, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> that's a, okay, I, no one ever asks me that anymore, so I appreciate you asking that. I actually wanted to be a dentist. Like, I don't know why. I wanted to be a doctor. I grew up, like, in a Pakistani household, so that it was kind of like your doctor lawyer was, like, the option. I was the first in my family to actually get a college degree. And education was something really important for my family. That was something that they weren't privileged to have. It wasn't an option for them, unfortunately. It's not that they didn't want to pursue it. It wasn't an option. And when you kind of got to a certain age, you had to like make money for your family. And that's kind of, you know, they didn't, they grew up in poor. And so I just appreciate all that my parents have done and sacrificed so much to put me, you know, always into good schools and make sure that education was a priority. And, you know, I was blessed to go to an incredible school and I had the most fantastic time in college. But I was the first in my family to graduate when I got to college. And that's why I wanted to have a very steady career. Like entrepreneurship was not my thing because my perspective of it was always like, I wanted to have constant in my life because that wasn't there for me. And so I wanted to be a dentist. I got to first year at UF and I like hated organic chemistry, I think was like my last straw. And I'm not a scientist, like I'm not a scientist. My math does not, my mind does not work that way. I'm naturally, you know, into communication and marketing and business and math. And those kind of were my things. And so I ended up getting a degree in finance as well as a degree in marketing. For sure. And then today you are the owner of 
that merchant. And that is that is so I love the name because it's just so catchy and it just grabs your attention. You're like Fat Merchant. So let's talk a little bit about Fat Merchant and what Fat Merchant is. But I think the first question I wanted how did you come up with that name? So it kind of has to go into the background of like my background, how it happened. So I graduated actually right in a recession and this was 2009 and housing market crash had happened. I was a super, you know, just overachiever in school. That's how I've always been my whole life. A super overachiever. You tell me to get an A and I want to get the A plus. Like, why don't I have the hundred? Like I'm always like competitive, want to be number one. And so that's like... In college, I had every internship under the sun. Like I was ready for whatever like my career was going to be. So I made the pivot. I didn't end up even pursuing science. I ended up doing business. I had an internship every single semester. I had co-ops. I was working. And when I got out, all of my offers were actually revoked. So companies were laying off and feels very similar of what's happening right now. But you know, companies were laying off and I wasn't able to like the offers that I was that I was getting was really around sales and mark sales positions primarily, more so than finance positions. And my dream was to then become an investment banker. I wanted to live in New York City. That was the dream. And it didn't and it didn't happen. And that's where I pivoted. I ended up taking a position with a really large corporate consumer packaged goods company. And I was there for three years. So I was so fortunate to have like a really incredible opportunity. But quickly, I learned that corporate life wasn't for me. I was just a serial number on a laptop. I had a ton of great ideas. I didn't feel like I was listened to. But at the same time, I do think that every college student like needs to get a proper corporate experience so that you can appreciate the other side of it as well. It did teach me leadership skills. It did teach me how to have a boss and how to show up on time and accountability. And post that, I got recruited by a payments company. And it was a financial services company that was, you know, we're doing credit card processing for small businesses. That is how I ended up becoming into the payments background. And I ended up working in payments for right about three years, sub three years. And quickly within the first year of me, you know, coming into this industry, I learned that there was so much shit that was wrong. Like customers were, you know, it was just a commoditized business. Credit card processing was never sexy. So it wasn't a sexy thing um, in terms of a user experience or wasn't technology. We're in 2020 right now, but in 2011, it doesn't feel that far, far like long ago, but People still had signs that were like, we don't accept American Express. We don't accept cards that are under $20 because there was no innovation happening in the processing industry whatsoever. It was just... But it was all expensive. It was also super expensive for me to take credit cards. It is. It was really expensive and only the bank... It was kind of expensive. <laughs> and the bank controlled the market. And so I was working for one of these players and... You know, I started listening to my customers. I would go and I would show up and I never met a merchant that was like, I love my credit card processor. Like, I love it. Like, I love my company. Every time I met with a business owner, they always had a horror story. It was always how they were mistreated or lied to, or there was always something negative attached to it. And I've always been one to always provide, like, I'm a joyful human. And I like that part of it, like, couldn't, it didn't correlate for me of, why are they so frustrated with us? Then as like my father had a small business, I like started to dig in further and understand what they really were upset about was the fact that there's no transparency in the credit card processing fees. Not only that, 
you know, they would sign up for a service and then the vendor, like the salesperson, they could never get a hold of them. They had no service. Their contract was sold over and over again. And it was just highly commoditized and no value. So I go back to my, you know, old team and I was like, there has to be a better way. And seriously, this all goes full circle back, you know, being stuck at home. I got stuck in a snowstorm in Dallas, Texas in 2013, working for the company. And I was a huge subscription junkie. Like, I could you not, Ronnie, I'm like a big subscription box, subscription, everything, software, subscription junkie. And this is pre, I'm doing air quotes, subscription economy. Okay. So we're in the subscription economy where all businesses are subscription. This was not the case in 2013. And I was trying to reroute my subscriptions when I was stuck in Dallas. And then like the idea bulb goes off and I'm like, shit, why aren't we... Why is there no processor that's a flat subscription model? It's a all-you-can-eat model. Instead of nickel and diming on percentages here and percentages there, we just give them a flat monthly subscription. And that's where the idea of Fat Merchant was born. And it wasn't actually Fat Merchant then. It was just this idea that I had. And again, remember I told you, it was not entrepreneurial. So I had... And as women, sometimes we like don't even think that we can go do something. I just went back and pitched it to like my old team. And... They didn't want to take it. They were like, no, this is never going to work. So I get rejected there. And then I go to go pitch it to about 12 different processors, Ronnie. I was rejected every single time. And now, now, go ahead. I was going to say, let's jump in right there because we have a ton of women listeners. And one of the things that I love that you said is that you believe at one point in time that you had this moment where you were like, this corporate America thing is not for me. You felt like you weren't listened to. You felt like you were just a number. But despite you feeling like that, you stayed with that company for three years, right? And I would definitely say that that was because you were a responsible person. Agreed. You know, in this day and age, people are just like, fuck it. You know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm quitting my job. I'm firing my boss. I'm going to be a millionaire in one year. And another thing that stood out to me was the fact that you said, hey, every single person needs to experience corporate America. I I appreciate you saying that because I meet so many, I speak a lot, like many conferences, young people all the time, like at universities. And that's what everybody has this like perfection. Like this, this is what it's going to be like to be an entrepreneur and be your own boss and fire your boss. And I can like walk out of here and like make a million dollars tomorrow. It's not easy. It is not. Okay. It takes a fucking years. My company today is doing 5 billion in payments. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that, but it did not happen overnight. And it's not everyone's... Like, it doesn't just happen. It takes a lot for everything to go right. And it takes nothing for everything to go wrong. Um, and so it's really, really hard. And I do think that we've painted this really sexy version of what entrepreneurship is like. And it is. It's exciting. And it's amazing to see innovation and all of that. But there is the other side that sometimes you don't get to see on Shark Tank. You know? So where were we? <laughs> yeah, so we were just talking about that process of you developing that company. So you went back to your team, they completely laughed at that. And you were like, you know what, this isn't going to stop. You know, no. let's talk about that. Because there are some women who are listening to the Girl CEO podcast right now. And they've had this idea. Hell, some of them have taken their ideas to their friends. Some of them have taken their ideas to their employers. And 
some of them have taken their ideas to social media and no one's taking them serious. No one's believing in them right now. No one's buying from them. People are laughing at their ideas. What would you say to those listeners right now? Oh, my heart goes out. I could feel like my old self, like right there in that moment. It's not going to be easy. And you do have like, it's, you're going to get rejected. You know, ladies, like rejection is part of it. And you have to grow some thick skin and move on and go to the next person. So for every person that says no, there might be a hundred that says no, there's going to be one in there that's going to say yes. Now, I also don't want women to be chasing things that are never going to come into fruition. And so something that I always teach to you know all the entrepreneurs that I mentor is you need to give yourself hard deadlines, like hard deadlines. So when I left, I was... I gave myself six months. I had $20,000 in my bank account that I had borrowed from friends and family that had invested. I had no idea. I was like up against finding Mr. Visa. Like, I didn't know, like, how do I start a payments company? It's much different than like opening up a, and I don't want to take like discount that, like opening up a retail shop or a restaurant or an online business. Like, I actually had to go get regulation and be able to accept transactions and host transactions. And it's very tech enabled. And I didn't have that background. So I was up against a really, really large mountain. And I gave myself six months. And I said, I have to not only get this thing off the ground, I need to go get a sponsor bank. And I need to go get the first 100 customers. And so for all the ladies that are listening right now, and you're being rejected, go listen to what the feedback is. So let's not ignore the feedback. And like, sometimes like we do think that like, it's our baby and no one wants to be told their baby's ugly. You're always going to think your baby is <laughs> in the world, but no one's going to tell you your baby's ugly. And if they like, if they do, like, you have to kind of know who you're pitching it to. Friends and family are great. They're easy first audiences to pitch at, but they're not going to be honest, y'all. They're not going to tell you that your baby's ugly. Get your product in the hands of whoever is the end user. If you have to give it away for free, give it away for free. If you need to have a beta, and we can talk about that. Sometimes like we want this perfect product. And, you know, we always talk about like, you know, launching an MVP, which is the most most viable product uh, where you can, you know, still showcase a product. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you need to get people using it. And once you have people using it, then you have to get people to pay for it. Otherwise, it's not a business. It's just a great idea. So one of my favorite quotes that's all over every single one of my walls, and I say this all the time, is that there's no such thing as a million-dollar idea, only a million-dollar execution. And it really is about executing on your business. It's not about having a great idea. Everybody has great ideas all the time. If you're listening to this podcast, you're an entrepreneur, you come up with great ideas all day long. It does not mean that it's a business, though. In order to turn your idea into a business, there is a step-by-step formula and a step-by-step process. For sure. And you know, what I always tell people is just because there's a hobby doesn't mean that there's a business because I see that as well. Even inside of the girl CEO community and the women that I coach in business, a lot of them tend to think that just because they enjoy doing something that they can monetize it. And sometimes you can, but often people are not good at the business side of the hobby. Right. And I always say, like, we have to understand that there's no perfection in business. What I teach, you know, my students and the women that I'm into and I coach is that we have to make it better as time goes on. And so many people delay starting. So many people delay starting the business because I believe as women, we can be a little perfectionist. I want to 
shit to look good too. So before I put it out there, I'm just trying to make sure it's perfect. But often I see this person who's paralyzed and who won't start because you see this other website and you're like, oh, I want mine to look like this. Or you see this other product and the packaging is better. Or you see this other woman and her brand is just different from yours. You're like, maybe I should talk like this and I'll get more people who will like me. Yeah, and the truth is you just have to be yourself. So much truth in that. It is. And you have to just start. Like you have to just start, but you don't have to start and quit your job either. So I think that's where like people feel like they have to like have everything perfect, which this is a hundred percent a girl thing. We have to stop that ladies. Like, why do you think men just shoot like left and right out of there? They're just always just shooting from their left hip or whatever the saying goes. Like we like read how many times, Ronnie? I'm gonna actually I'm gonna ask the audience. Um, be honest with me here. How many times do you guys reread an important email? Like a dozen times. Like reread the same thing, reread the same thing, reread the same thing. Just send the fucking email. Like it's just a typo or it's just, it's not the end of the world if it's not perfect. And we over engineer, overthink, and you know what? We get in our own heads. And this is where like, we're always in, in our own heads. When you talk about just starting, it's really important just to take step one and just get a, get something out there. Get people to use it. Get the user feedback. And then you continue to iterate, right? So great companies continually are iterating. My company, we just launched another product last week. I mean, we're always iterating, adding feature enhancements. Like it's not just perfect and done and walk away. Like that's not how business works. And so for that. Yeah, for sure. And then you came in and you said, Okay, I'm taking this idea. And if they don't want to believe in the idea, I will freaking bring this to the forefront and I'll make this happen. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you start your company, Fat Merchant, while everyone else is paying a ton load of merchant fees. And I mean, the prices are just so fluffed up. It's crazy. You come in with this innovative idea that you will create a subscription price for small businesses when it comes to merchant services. Tell me what that looks like. Yeah, so it was a really uphill battle. But I never dreamed of where the company is today. So Catapult, so 2014, I got my registration with Visa MasterCard. It was end of 2013 is when I really got pen to paper and started getting everything going. And in six months, I did get the registration. And we had a ton of technology to build. I got a team together. I didn't have the resources. We were extremely bootstrapped. I had to, you know, put a lot of, we put a lot of sweat equity into the business. And we had a lot of people that were working part time and working at nights and working like to build this, you know, this just dream that I had. But it was a big vision to like really level the playing field for small businesses. It was just beyond me. It wasn't like the motivating factor wasn't Snara wants to, to start a business and it be successful. Like we were all on this mission centric mission that we weren't going to stop until we literally helped every business in America. That is like the how we showed up every single day and it made us work. And that's how we still show up every single day. And so our team was so strong and like all had the same why and the same purpose. And that is definitely part of like how we were able to push through so many blockers, so many blockers. And in our first year in 2014, we had 5 million in payments for our customers. Like we were able to get customers on board. We were featured and are still featured. I mean, we've been featured in every mass publication ever. In 2014, Fast Company did this article called Meet the Woman Trying to Change Their Credit Card Industry. And it went viral. There was 20,000 shares just from Fast Company itself. It was front page Fast Company. And we had people 
faxing us applications. Like, and it wasn't just because I had a viral post. So I don't want like listeners to take away that you have to have a viral press piece. Are it was you because you were no, it was because you were solving a problem that was a need. Yeah. And we had an incredible team and incredible products and we had users already using it. Like it was everything had to go right. And from there, like our next year went from five million to 110 million in payments to 750 million to a billion. And we crossed two billion last year and crossed five billion this year. We have 110 employees. I've raised 20 million in venture capital. I write for Forbes, Fortune, Entrepreneur. We're featured everywhere as like the leading payment processor. And US World Report just did their 2020 best processors. And we were number one with Square. So for us, our customers do 100,000 in processing, like in total revenue or more to pay that subscription because they still have to pay visas fees. So those don't go away. But you know, it's amazing to see like this was this little idea that I had in my head and it happened. And now there's a massive company that I never thought. And it's just on a pretty big growth trajectory. And it's amazing to look back. But it wasn't easy. This is seven. This is gonna be my seventh year in business this year. Wow. And every day, I swear to God, I worked harder than the day before. It's you know, there's always this like I want to talk about this. Like I always thought like when I hire my first, like I have all the shit to do. When I hire my first employee, it's gonna get easier. When I hired my first employee, it didn't get easier. Then I was like, oh, when we get to ten, when we get to ten people, we have like a real team. It's gonna get easier. We have a hundred people, and it just it's harder and harder. And so you have to brace yourself and like, know like if this is like what you really want, it becomes part of your life. Like it becomes part of your day to day. I started my business because I wanted freedom of time and freedom of dollar. I don't have either. Like now I'm like, my schedule is from 8.30 in the morning until 5.30 every day packed by the half hour. And, you know, it's just different. I run a really big company and there's so many stresses outside of it. However... I will say, I don't want to make it all about that it's hard. I just want to make sure that people understand that it's not its not all rainbows. It's not a freaking vacation. It's not. Because it's this perception right now, especially with social media, guys. Like, I love social media, but it's killing the mindset a little bit because it has people thinking that as soon as they launch this business, they're just going to be on the beach, you know, with their feet kicked up, or they're going to be standing in front of this Bentley or this big house and no one talks about the sacrifices, the sacrificing that you have to do with your time and the sacrificing that you have to do with your family and the sacrificing that you have to do with your friends and not being able to be everywhere and be everything to everyone. You know? And guys, did you hear what she said? Like her company has literally done over a billion with merchant sales with other companies. So you're running a company where you have such a, such a big responsibility. That's a lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility. I um, am 32 years old. I have two little kids. Now I had, I had uh, both my girls, like during this journey, I raised $15 million of capital both times, like while pregnant. I have battled some like really, ins- I have some insane war stories to tell. But also I'm like, I'm so proud. Like truly, I like look back and I'm so proud of like, not like, I just don't take no for an answer and kind of having that resiliency, having an incredible team, like not doing it alone, like, and not making it about, it's not about, it's not the Sarah Madani show. It's mission centric. And that's like when good business happens. And so I want all the women out here that are listening, reflect upon your why. Reflect upon why you're doing this. And it should never, if money is your biggest motivator, you're not going to be successful. It has to go beyond just 
the money. Um, and I think successful businesses have always that, that they're mission centric and there is a deep why because shit's going to get hard and you have to always look back at your why. Like that's what drives me, you know, is like why we set out to do what we're doing and be so disruptive. And so it is also a blessing. Like it is amazing to like, for me, people feel me and my team feels me. And like, it is a huge responsibility that I take very seriously. I have, you know, amazing investors. It's a lot like to take someone else's dollars to go do, you know, I have to return that. I have to make sure my company is successful. So let's jump into that because if I was listening to this right now, and I know every one of my girl CEOs want to know, the first thing I want to acknowledge is she is a girl CEO, guys. She's a woman business owner. How crazy is this that a woman can come in and just disrupt an industry the way you have? But then I heard you say something that really made me say, okay, we got to pause this. You said you raised how much money for your company? $20 million. Say that one more time. I've raised $20 million in venture capital. $20 million. Okay, girls, heels. how many of you all are like, okay, sis, give us the information, spill the tea for us. We need to know how this works. Can we talk a little bit about like, how in the hell do you raise $20 million for your company? Girl, we're going to sit here and have like a, we can do a full day fireside chat all day long. I think if you three really things. Give us three things you do to raise $20 million. So you have to have a investable business. Step one. Like you can't okay. just like, I need money for my business, right? That's not how it works. You have to have customers. You have to have revenue. You have to have data points that's going to show why if you take $1, you're going to return $10. Like there proof in that. So guys, that's point one. That means that you want to make sure that you can show that you are in a business where the profits are there. People want what you have because a lot of people are running around. You're new and you're in entrepreneurship. And you're like, I need investors. I need investors. But then we pull up the Shopify. The Shopify doesn't convince investors that it's time for them to invest in you because the sales aren't there. So what she's saying is have the proof. Before you go to Absolutely. Be investable. Like some businesses just aren't investable. Like there it's great that you have a good revenue stream, but it's only for one person or for like it's going to just be a lifestyle business. Not all businesses have to be a twenty million dollar investable business. There's and having an investment doesn't mean that even that your business is gonna be successful either. So you don't need to have investors for your business to be successful because there's so many entrepreneurs also that I know that haven't gotten investments that run small teams and make a lot of money too. So there's different just styles of businesses. You have to, if you want to raise capital, have an investable business. Two, you have to have a market that is a large market. So investors will not invest in a, like, unless you are really the dominant player in a very, very small market, they're looking for big opportunities. Because remember, investors want to, they're giving you money now and they're taking a huge risk, right? Because nine out of 10 startups will fail. Like that is like, that's how it is. And so they want to make sure that if they give you the dollar, that they're going to get 10 back. So they need a large market. And then I would say number three is that you've got to be passionate. And you've got, and I think that's where we do a really good job, like as founders and as women, that we're passionate, but we are level headed too. And that we are, we have to have a good team. And if you don't have the, 
I can't be everything. So I know where I'm good at for like my company and there's things that I'm not good at. And I have to have the team that supports me where I'm not good. And so for me, I, you know, I'm fantastic at marketing and I'm an amazing visionary and I'm really like forward, outward facing and all of that. (laughs) And we need those executors. Executors, and you have to be able to execute too. But I'm smart enough to go in, and I'm a great salesperson as well. I'm able to wear a bunch of different hats, but I know where my zones are. I know where my zones aren't. Right? So, you know, although I was a finance major, you know, I need a CFO that is going to make sure that we are tight here. And from a risk and underwriting perspective, I'm not the expert here. We run transactions. I need a risk expert. And so, if you want to be investable. Your business may be investable down the line. It doesn't have to be that earlier on either. So you want to make sure that you are rounding out and you don't have to have all of the right people right now. So just because you don't have a head of sales or a head of this or a head of that, and you're like, I, well, if only I had that, then I could get investors. You still need to be able to prove out. This is why it's like a total 180. Like you can't, it's like the chicken or the egg. Like you need the money to then hire people and then you need to pay them with the investment dollars, right? And it doesn't, you have to be able to show that you do have customers and that you are able to wear many hats. And then you have a nimble team that although you don't have these perfect positions, that you each do have your zones of where you're able to execute. And so that's kind of, you know, I could chat all day on like raising capital. I've definitely written a lot of articles about it. And you guys can all follow me at mombosco is my Instagram handle. And I'm actually going to be in just Sanira Madani is like where you can find me as well. I'm kind of going through a switch change right now. So I don't know when this is going to be published. So check out mombosco and then check out Sanira Madani to come find me. I answer DMs all the time. And so without further. Yeah. And you guys, I want you guys to write this down. So step one was make sure you have an investable business, meaning the profit margin is there, meaning the customers are there. And that is the first thing, like that's your portfolio, right? You want to show these investors that if they do invest in you, then they will get a return on the investment. And the second thing, what was the second point? Because I, I think we kind of, did I miss the second one? I know the, I know the third one was to make sure that they're passionate about what they're doing. But what was the second one? Did I miss the second one? The second one was like having a big market, right? So you have to have an investable market that you can have proof points that you're able to take that dollar and turn it into 10. Got it. All right. Perfect. And did you land meetings? Were you calling people? Were you doing lunch? I'm sure at that time you were doing a lot of lunch. <laughs> Everything. And I will say that you won't meet investors behind a computer screen. You have to be well plugged into your community. I don't know what types of businesses are listening right now, but you have to be where your experts are. And so for me, I have a technology company and I needed to be around other technology companies and meet other technology people to then like create that network. And so find where your networks are, find where the experts are, find where they go to. And that is how you cultivate an incredible network that then pays off later. Are you telling me that they're going to have to get off of Instagram and actually go to events and meet people in person? Yes, absolutely. Girl CEOs, you guys are going to have to put your clothes on, put your heels on, go to these events. I talk about this all the time. Get to the fundraisers. I always say go to the fundraisers, you know, look up what's going on in your area and get out. We can't continue to hide behind these logos to hide behind social media, to hide behind our Facebook accounts, to hide behind these websites. We have to get out and open our mouths. So I am so, let me just say, I know your days are crazy. 
your days are insane right now because you have so much going on. You guys just launched a new product. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So right now, Corona is happening. We have 6,000 small businesses that we support. I'm so glad you asked that. We just launched a partnership with Hub. We launched a virtual gift card product so that all of our businesses right now that are closed or that are not able to take transactions in person, their customers can support them virtually by buying virtual gift cards. We've donated $3,500 worth of gift card fees for each of the businesses. So they don't have to pay any fees against taking cards. And so right now we are tirelessly working around the clock to support our 6,000 customers, make sure that they can keep their lights on and y'all go support small business right now. You know, they really need it and it'll all come back full circle for you as well. So definitely, you know, support your local small businesses. And that's what Fat Merchant's trying to do. So that's what we launched last week and we don't stop. Like it's really cool. All right, guys. So Girl Seals, if you have not checked out Fat Merchant. Make sure you all check out Fat Merchant. But most importantly, I want you guys to also go follow Sanira at Momboss. Is it dot .co or just Momboss? Uh, Momboss Co. And then I may be changing it to Sanira Madani soon. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's it, I'm like it's so much work. It is amazing. I love my community. I'm on. I show up on Instagram every day. I'm always sharing mini trainings on entrepreneurship kind of like how I go about things. I am partnering with Shannon Monson. She's amazing too, of the icon method. We're about to launch a podcast and we're all about fucking female empowerment. By the way, crazy statistic, less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. Fucking makes me sick. Like that statistic is like my new mission of like that. Like I wake up to every day and I'm like, we're going to move the needle against that. And I'm going to personally have a hand in like taking 100 women I've like committed to. But I'm yeah. going to take 100 women to the 2% club is what we're calling it. And so definitely check out, just add me right now on Instagram. There's some really cool stuff about to come. If you're an entrepreneur and you're obviously a girl listening to this, I've got you. You're my people. And I'm so happy that I was able to come today, Ronnie. This was like really, really refreshing. And it's nice to like have heart-to-heart good conversations with incredible women. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Girl CEOs, thank you for tuning in to the Girl CEO Radio, the playground for female entrepreneurs, ladies. We are so excited about all that's to come within our community, guys. I know you all are super excited about our Girl CEO conference. Of course, Corona has definitely slowed us down with the actual date. So we pushed that back and we are shooting for the fall. Let's keep our heads bowed and say pray that this thing is resolved by that time because I cannot wait to have a good time with you guys in October at the National Gay Lord at the Harbor here in Maryland for our Girls CEO Conference. It's going to be a game changer and as you all know, we have tons of tons and tons of speakers who are just paving the way out here so I cannot wait. Let's stay home, please. Girls CEO, stay home. I want you all to be safe. I want you all to be here with your families and I want to party with you guys at the Girl CEO Conference. Also, we have some new, new, new things rolling out. So please stay tuned and thank you for tuning in. And I can't wait to talk to you ladies soon. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? 
My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.